Hello, everybody. Welcome back into your latest episode of Locked on Suns, part of a Locked on Podcast Network. Today's always your host, Evan Setter, and joined by a very special guest today's show, talking NBA draft today with Ben Pfeiffer. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, you know, just watching some basketball today. How's it going? Doing good, doing good. I know we have six more prospects today. I know listeners are really enjoying us diving in. We had Jackson Frank on last week. We're back with you today, Ben, to talk through Six prospects, I think four pretty underrated ones, and also two at the near the top of the class. I know a lot of Suns fans are interested. We're going to finish the show with Obi Top and LaMelo Ball. But let's start off first, Ben, with a few prospects who I think are flying under the radar a little bit. I like them a little more than others. I have both. I have Tyler Bay, and just at the end of my first round, I have Desmond Bain actually as a top 20 prospect on my board. So let's start off with Desmond Bain for a second. I have TCU. I tweeted a couple of videos about him before. He's two-time All-Big 12 sharpshooter. He averaged 17 points per game. 44% from three last year for the Horn Frogs. And he also averaged four assists per game. So when you watch Bain, Ben, what stands out to you? Because I feel like he could be like, if there was like a combine or like actual like workouts in a group setting this year, I imagine it'd be different than like COVID-19 going on. I think he could have been a, a riser throughout the process. Yeah, it's a shame that there's no process. I mean, last year he was awesome at pro basketball combine, and I'm sure he would have been awesome at Portsmouth this year and and the NBA um, and just the main combine and at uh, – in summer league, but you know, alas, we're, we're not getting into that, unfortunately. But yeah, Desmond Bain is, is awesome. I feel similarly to you. I have him in my like early twenties or something like that. I mean, the the first thing that really pops out about Bain is that he's just the best shooter in this draft class. Um, I mean, besides just being a ridiculous off movement shooter with incredible range and touch, and even though he has some kind of wonky forward on motion on a shot, his release is the same. It's consistent every time, which is one of the more important things when it's to me when scouting mechanics. And I mean, he's just such an incredibly versatile shooter. He's awesome off screens, like I said, great on spot ups, an amazing pull up shooter. He he placed in the 92nd percentile on off dribble jumpers this year. I, I mean, you can see on the tape how much separation he gets with step backs and how much range he has. And because of, I mean, all of that versatility, I think he's the best shooter in this draft class, which in itself is going to present supreme value. But then you add that on to all of the other awesome things he does in which Devin is, which um, he's an awesome pick and roll passer, maybe not the most proactive player. And he struggles with his, you know, his handle and getting to the rim playing. Um, his free throw rate being sub 20, despite, you know, being built like a truck. It's, it's, it's really curious. Um, he's just not, not a very good handler and doesn't have a lot of burst, but I mean, he is an awesome pick and roll handler, you know, tagging is, he's pretty manipulative. It skips to the weak side, passes to the roll. He's re- really, really super smart. And defensively, I mean, he's really, he, I mean, the main drawback is his wingspan is basically is negative. He has really short arms, which is tough, but he's a super, super smart team defender. Probably one of the smarter wing defenders in the class. We're just making rotations, making plays off the ball. And he's like, he's fine enough at the point of attack. I mean, he's six foot six. He's really strong. So he'll be fine enough to survive. He's not going to be terrible, which is really all that matters for, for point of attack defense. But yeah, I mean, just looking, I mean, once you're past like the upside kind of gambles, um, there really aren't too many better like rotation bets in this class than Desmond Bain, someone who's going to be a very high level shooter with lots of ancillary skills, um, which are important for like spot up for shooting prospects that are, it's important that shooting prospects are, are more than shooters and have those ancillary abilities. And then Desmond Bain is, is thriving with those. So yeah, Desmond Bain's awesome. Yeah, the agree with you there. The first four years, or the, the the four years that Bain spent in TCU, thirty eight percent, forty six point one, forty two point five, like I mentioned last year, forty four point two percent. It comes out to a career forty three point three three point percentage on four attempts per game for Bain. That's an absolute sharpshooter type number. I know he's a little bit different prospect than Cam Johnson was last year for the Suns, but it's obvious that Suns GM James Jones values some sharpshooting Bain, and definitely Bain can provide that. Do you think he? 
does he compare much similarly to a, a player like Cam Johnson last year? Like you said, he doesn't really do much as far as defense. I mean, and he's definitely, I think, a better defender than Cam was this at North Carolina last year. Cam's also six, three inches taller than Bain. But do you think it's kind of this year's version of Cam Johnson? I mean, yeah, I think he's he's pretty analogous to to Cam Johnson. I'd probably have Bain as a better prospect because, like I said, I think he's a better passer. I think he's a better defender, and he's also two years younger, which is important. Uh, I mean, I, I wasn't a huge Cam Johnson guy coming out, and I think, and I mean, I was surprised by the pick, but he, I, I mean, he undoubtedly provided some incredible value as an off-ball shooter for the Suns um, in their motion offense. You know, like was able to add some value on cuts and things like that. Yeah, I mean, he could be similar and. I mean, I mean, for Phoenix is, I mean, already, I mean, isn't exactly a team lacking in shooting, but I mean, it, it can never really hurt to have more spacing. I mean, Phoenix is, I mean, picking in likely the back end top ten is probably a reach for Desmond Dane. I, I wouldn't go that high on him just because, you know, you know, there's not only really any, there's not really much self creation upside. I mean, outside of the setback threes, um, he's, he's, the handling isn't really there on the ball. But I mean, if the Suns maybe trade for a pick. Or get like another pick in the like late first, or I mean, hey, I mean, in, in some mocks, um, less so now, but I mean, he's still like falling in the second round, which is just ridiculous uh, to to see him going that low. So I mean, if Suns could snatch him in the second round, that would be an absolute steal. So, but yeah, I mean, not like an early pick kind of guy, but like someone you want in your roster. Yeah, definitely agree with you there. And Bain, Ben, you and I are both very high on Bain. We have him, like you said, and he's in your early 20s, I believe. And I'm inside my top 10 or top 20 at number 18 overall for Bain. And I think just the way he can, can really provide just shooting motion and creativity for the offense, I think it's so valuable nowadays. But I think an underrated aspect of Bain's game, the more I like him as far as a Suns fit, is that his assist percentage doubled this past year, Ben, 13.6 to 26%. His turn percentage went up a little bit, as his usage did, but – I think it's very promising. I mean, I mean, not comparing apples to oranges with Devin Booker, so to say, but during his one year at Kentucky, Booker showed playmaking ability. And when Bain had more on-ball duties this year for the Horn Frogs, he kind of showed some really promising playmaking potential there, four assists per game. Makes me think he could be sort of a pseudo combo guard. He could work as far as training positions on and off with Devin Booker if he wanted to. Yeah, I mean, Desmond Bain, I mean, like I said, he is pretty awesome um, with, with some of the pick-and-roll reads he makes. Nothing, like, incredibly advanced um, but he doesn't really need to. I mean, he takes advantage of his. Sh- I mean, I mean, you mentioned Devin Booker. I mean, Bain takes advantage of his, his his incredible shooting gravity at the college level and turns those into positive passing value. I mean, I don't think he's going to be good enough on ball to really make that happen in the same way at the next level. Um, probably more of like an ancillary playmaker type to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, he just just being that great of a shooter with the passing instincts he has is a valuable combination. And even if it's not necessarily on the ball, I mean, the Suns love those little curl screens uh, out of the corner to the mid range, uh, ghost cuts from the corner, and just having him attacking closeouts and and having those advantage situations created for him to where he can kind of pick apart defenses with a four on three situation or something like that where he has openings and he can pick out the right spots. So yeah, I mean, his passing is absolutely positive, and this is one of the the many reasons to love Desmond Bain. I mean, I think almost everyone loves Desmond Bain because he's just such a fun player to watch and he's really, really good. Probably one of the most universally liked players like on like draft Twitter sphere. And then for good reason, because he's great. Last one I have for you on Bain before we go on to Tyler Bay of Colorado. Looking at Bain's defense, like I mentioned before, Cam Johnson was a little bit of a worse defender. He showed in Phoenix here he's a good team defender. Like you mentioned at the top of the show with Bain, he's a very good team defender. Steal percentage went up from 1.0 to 2.5 this year. His block percentage for a guard at 1.6 is pretty good to me. 
do you think he could hold his own next level play, maybe guarding ones and twos, maybe in some small ball laps and threes? I don't know about threes, but do you think he could guard guards in the next level, Ben? Um, I mean, probably. Like, like I mean, Desmond Bain, it, it, like especially for Phoenix, he's not going to be asked to guard any high-level guards. I mean, that's kind of squirted around your question. And the answer is, like, he probably can't defend at a high level at the point of attack, but he's not going to need to be. Like, especially with Phoenix, he's insulated by defenders like McHale and, yeah. and Kelly Oubre. I mean, he's, he's never really going to be asked to defend those high-level guys at the point of attack. And I think, like, the defending, like, more ancillary wing type and backup point guardy types, he can definitely hold. And I think there's actually a chance he's able to defend up, maybe a little more than people think, because he is just so incredibly strong. I mean, he's built like a tank. And though maybe his strength isn't, like, the most functional thing. I mean, he's not the most incredible at using his strength on either end of the floor to, to really add value. But that's the thing that can be learned. I mean, it's a lot easier to do that than to actually add the muscle itself. And Desmond Bain is kind of a freak in that way. So I, I, I think there is some potential, like, on the occasional switch to defend up. I mean, again, not someone, like, I'm really projecting to defend, like, point of attack really really prevalently. But that's not why I'm excited about Desmond Bain as a defender. I mean, just valuing team defense as highly as I do and being such an incredibly instinctual defender, you know, making reads off the ball is why I love Desmond Bain. But, yeah, I mean, I think he could be fine enough on the point of attack. I don't think he's going to be bad or anything. I mean, he's not going to be someone teams attack is, 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 is the important consideration there. Yeah, definitely agree on that aspect. We're going to dive in now to Tyler Bay of Colorado, a player who the more I watch of Ben, the more I'm really want to move him up my board a little more because he's in the late first round for me right now, but just he's six seven two twenty, He's a little light for a three, four combo, but I saw some videos between out today, Ben, just of his secondary rim protection ability. And I think that's a, important aspect in the Suns defense because it's kind of the missing element right now. I know DeAndre has a lot of pressure on him as a rim anchor protector. I know Kelly Ubrick can also provide some secondary rim protection as well, but it feels like Bay, the Pac-12 defensive player of the year, really has an innate instinct as far as being a defensive player, and I think he'd be a really snug fit alongside Aiden. Yeah, I like Bay's defense quite a bit. I mean, as most people do, he's really, really incredibly instinctual. I mean, as you saw, I mean, he just will come from absolutely nowhere uh, from the weak side to, to make blocks and steals. He's so smart kind of baiting defenders into thinking that they have openings when they really don't and then pouncing with his length. And he's also just very explosive laterally. I mean, he kind of just like bounces around the floor in a good way. I mean, when you watch him, he's always like sitting low in a stance, always ready to explode and move and move omnidirectionally. I mean, which, which just makes him such a special movement player and a really, really incredible overall team defender. I mean, I have some worries about like him as a big defender. He, he has troubles with bigs um, down low and he's not the, the most incredible laterally. But again, that, that's not a huge thing I worry about um, in terms of defense when he's just such a special team defender. And I mean, yeah, I like the defensive fit a lot there next to Aiden, who's made pretty great strides as a rim protector in the second season, no doubt, but still has a ways to go there. And then, uh, uh, yeah, and then you talk about insulating Devin Booker with defenders. I mean, Mikhail Bridges, Tyler Bay, Kelly Oubre uh, around Booker, and then you can have eight in there. That's, that's a massive lineup, and that's going to be a really positive defensive lineup. But then my worries about Tyler Bay um, come on the offensive end, where he just hasn't really showcased a lot. The shooting projection 
is kind of interesting to think about because while he hasn't really shot very many threes over his career, I mean, what he shot um, something like 60 ish threes um, in his entire career. And I mean, shooting volume is one of the most important indicators to look at for future shot development. And he just hasn't taken them. He he does like shoot off movement threes and he looks pretty good doing them, but they're few and far between, which is an encouraging indicator. Yeah. I'm I'm not super high on the shot. And I don't think he really provides much else on offense. And those like fifth offensive player types are generally a lot less valuable than people think. I, I kind of made this mistake with, I mean, a guy who I think of, think of similarly to Bay in a lot of ways, even though he's very different, but he's different in a lot of ways was, was Daquan Jeffries, who I was high on last year. I think he's a, he's, he's Geely with Orlando, maybe. Um, who, again, like really spectacular team defender, um, decent shot projection but not much else offensively and you know just not being able to do much offensively is a problem I mean unlike Bain I talked about um, your ancillary offensive players have to be really solid like be be really either really great on defense or do more than just shoot spot ups at a passable rate and and Tyler Bay might be really great on defense be that good to add the value but if Tyler Bay is not like uh maybe like below league average spot up shooter he's not a plus passer I mean he's had like a pretty terrible assist turnover ratio his entire career he can't really dribble he's a pretty solid finisher but again I I worry about how that finishing translates to a more perimeter oriented game which I assume he'd play at the next level so yeah I mean I have offense offensive concerns about Tyler Bay but I I mean he's a really good prospect and like I said I have him like uh like bottom 20s like early 30s in that range so similar to you yeah I mean Bay I I think defensive fit in, in Phoenix makes a lot of sense the one positive, I think, just trying to look for some offensive value with Bay is what really stood out to me, especially looking at his stats this past year, is free throw rate, 69.3%. Yeah. Throughout his career, is over 50% at Colorado. Is he? It looks like to me, at least from the advanced metrics, that he should be a player who knows how to get to the line, he knows how to drive to the rim and get fouls consistently. That will translate to the next little bit? Um, not really, because, I mean, Tyler Bay's primary usage is as a post player. I mean, almost 30% of his possessions were as a post-up player and almost 20 were as a cutter. That's almost 50. That's like over 50% of his possessions that came in ways that he's probably not as projectable. I mean, cutting more so. Like, I mean, like I talked about, you know, like I'm sure you know Phoenix loves their 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 scripted and non-scripted cut plays where, where Bay could succeed. But I, I think a lot of the foul drawing to being really physical in the post and kind of overwhelming guys where I'm less skeptical of that. And he's just not as good uh, of a driver because I mean, his, his handle's pretty limited. Yeah, he's, he's not going to be able to, who can really double pass his man. And again, he's like, you said, he's strong and he knows how to draw fouls. So I think there's going to be some aspect of that, but it's going to, but that, um, that aspect of his game to me is going to decline pretty significantly at the next level where he's not going to be having a 25 usage um, like he did at Colorado. He's probably going to be like a very, very low usage type player in the NBA. I mean, that's, or, or that, that at least is his ideal role to me where he's not going to be in position to draw those fouls. So I would kind of be skeptical about that, that translating to the next level. We're going to go on to the next time and then talking about really two more interesting prospects. We're going to the, the meat of the show with Obi Toppin and LaMelo Ball, and that's Aaron Neesmith of Barry Billy Carroll on the show before. We're going to go more in-depth this time with Ben, but also Leandro Bolmero, who I think is really an intriguing prospect who could really add a lot of value to the Suns if he develops correctly. But before we go on, we're reminding you guys about our sponsor today's show, which is Blinkist. It's really unique, and it really is kind of like the spark notes of books nowadays. You can get all your unique information from thousands of nonfiction books and things down just in just 15 minutes. So you can read this to him wherever you are, whether you're walking a dog, making breakfast, you're out to eat, you're driving your car. You can listen to a whole book on a car ride if you want to at Blankus. It makes it really easy. All the interesting facts in one small area. 
I enjoy Blinkist too because, like I mentioned, I'm driving the car, I'm making myself breakfast in the morning or working out. You can just listen to a book while you're doing something quickly, and Blinkist really provides all the meat for you in a really small amount of time. And there's so many popular books on here as well in major genres like psychology, biographies and memoirs, management, leadership, career success. There's one sports book I really enjoy, The Sports Gene, Inside the Science of Extraordinary Athletic Performance by David Epstein. It's a really good book you guys should check out as well. There's so many others, like a Tiger Woods biography by Jeff Benedict, The Secrets of Power Negotiating by Roger Dawson. There's so many great ones out there you can find on Blinkist. And I wanted to also remind our Lock on Sons listeners, too, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash MBA to try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash MBA to a free seven-day trial. And you save 25% off when you sign up for Blinkist.com slash MBA. One more time for you guys, Blinkist.com slash MBA. Back in just a second to talk with Leandro Bomero and Aaron Neesmith. Alrighty, let's dive in now to Leandro Bolmero, who is right at top 20 on my board, because the more I watch with him, too, the more I can see his value in the NBA level. Band. I know he's only 19 years old, could be 20 in September, right before the season starts up again in December. From the Sun standpoint, I really like his fit, because he's a very good passer for his size, six foot seven, 180 pounds. And kind of what they're looking for, they almost made a trade for Luke, Luke Kennard at the trade deadline. I think as a player similar to Luke Kennard, the shot I buy, I know is a little inconsistent with the shooting percentage. It's just around the low 30 percentage marks outside range for Bulmero this past year and throughout really his career. But I like his shot mechanics. I think they can transfer to the next level. And his passing ability, I think, is super smart. He's a really heady, high IQ player. And if you're trying to go for a Luke Kennard type player, I guess, I know he's not an elite shooter like Kennard was, I think Bulmero can check a lot of those playmaking boxes. Yeah, I mean, I have um, worries about Leandro Bomaro's um, NBA fit early. I mean, I am a big Bomaro fan. I have him near the top 10 on my board, and I've been, you know, kind of pounding the Bomaro drum for quite a while now. But I also acknowledge at the same time that I have him that high because he's a really high upside kind of guy, but also a guy whose who's median outcome is significantly lower. And like I said, the shot um, – I definitely want to raise skepticism about the shot. Uh, the most encouraging thing uh, regarding a shot is that his mechanics have improved quite a bit since as since as, since as recent as last summer, or the consistency is better. Um, it's just a general a general smoother shot, but the results have never been great, and I'd, I'd be cautious about buying it too strongly. And then just I mean asking the the, the very legitimate question of of how does he score in the half court because he's not a good finisher and he's not a good pull-up shooter. And he's pretty much going to, I mean, I, I believe his, his most conducive role to NBA success as is as like an on-ball creator, because like you said, he's an awesome passer at, at six foot seven and he's one of the better ball handlers in the class with you know awesome dribbling rhythm. He varies his, his dribble heights and speeds masterfully to to fool opponents and he's super creative with his ball handling. But I mean, that's all, but he has a lot of issues with his general burst and um, general burst and, and lack of strength that could lead him to struggle on the offensive end. But I think in, you know, in time, um, if he ends up developing some of those parts of his games, he could be a pretty plausible option for the, uh, for the Suns at some point as kind of a creator next to Devin Booker who can, you know, allow Booker to play some more off ball and, and run off screens in, in that way. And then hopefully the shot improves to a point where he can play off the ball as well next to Booker. But yeah, I mean, offensively, I mean, again, just someone who I like a lot as like a upside swing and someone who I think I might 
I would probably stash at this point to to kind of see how his development tracks along because he I mean on one hand he he, he wasn't he, he wasn't super dominant in the Barcelona in Spanish third division which is a bit concerning but uh, but on the flip side of the coin which is and which I put a lot of stock in is that Bomaro um is that Bomaro was entrusted to actually run offense with with the big Barcelona team in in ACB and had quite a bit of success running offense there. So I think that's, that's a positive point for his, for his development as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I like Pomar a lot as like a development um, upside swing. And I, yeah, I mean, I think there could be something there for Phoenix in the, in the long term. Not sure if I'd take, I mean, there's probably I, I almost certainly can better options for Phoenix um, on, on the board when they pick, but I mean, I, I, I can see, I, I can see Pomar working there. What do you think, like you mentioned, Ben, you have him as a lottery prospect, a little bit higher than me. I'm just right inside my top 20 there, right outside my top 20, excuse me. I really think that his ceiling is very intriguing to me. Like you mentioned, his passing ability, if his shot does translate. What do you think, Ben, from your standpoint, is the ceiling for Bulmara? Yeah, I think the ceiling is like – pretty pretty positive uh, for him which is I mean I mean that's why I have him in the lottery uh definitely not because of the floor it's because of his ceiling as like a I mean at a ceiling you hope I, one of either the pull-up shooting or the finishing improves to the point where his um to, to where his gravity is somewhat tenable on the ball and that needs to happen to to fully unlock his his um his passing and his ball handling ability to the to the best of its ability but yeah i mean i mean that's not even mentioning what is probably his best skill at this point which is his which is his on-ball defense and and his and his, and his feet and his ability to move his feet on defense he's just so stifling at the point of attack he he destroys dribble handoffs and screens and he's just such a pest to, to get by for even like higher quality acb ball handlers um because he's so he's so quick with his feet and he's so anticipatory, um, anticipating directions, and then he's a smart, he's, he's a smart team defender as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think he could be a really positive two-way player at his peak, which, again, is why he's as high as he is. But also, I mean, he's not higher because I acknowledge his downside quite a bit. Yeah, I think Bomaro is certainly a prospect I'm going to dive in more and more as we get closer to October 16th when the draft will be. But let's move on, Ben, to the next one in this segment, which is Aaron Neesmith. We covered him a little bit on the show previously last month. But in a small sample size, Ben, he, Neesmith seems like a player, like a Buddy Heel type to me, where he could really just lie up the scoreboard and be a microwave scorer right away. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of Aaron Neesmith. I mean, obviously, there's the awesome shooting, which is impossible to ignore. I mean, he, I mean, small sample size, and I, I don't think anyone's expecting him to be like a 50 like a 50% three-point shooter, but his movement shooting gravity is really, really special. And it's better than, than anybody in this class, especially given his height, um, you know, just running off screens and hitting shots like that. And, and that's super valuable. Uh, but my issue is, is, is that's kind of the only plus skill he brings to the table. And I mean, the reason I don't think he's the best shooter in this class, I think Bain and a few other guys are better is because he really, really struggles as a pull-up shooter. Uh, Neesmith has a pronounced hitch um, on quite a few of the pull-up jumpers and the jumper is just not consistent with its release and it's pretty clear uh, when you're watching on tape it is not nearly as comfortable with that shot than his um, more off-ball shots and the numbers reflect it I mean as, I mean, he, he shot well on, on pull-up jumpers this year but it's a small sample and not nearly as well as he shot um, on catch and shoot and, and off-screen shots and then I, he's not really a plus passer his feel isn't great he can't really dribble um, his finishing is 
not the greatest. I mean, it's fine, but he's not super bursty or he's not super explosive. So I have worries about that. And then defensively, I mean, he is a fairly smart team defender and he's long, but again, he, he, he has really poor footwork. His closeouts are bad. He struggles on the ball. So, I mean, I have a lot of worries uh, about what Neesmith is going to be at his, at his highest level. I mean, I mean, there's a certain floor that he brings with his shooting gravity that, you know, NBA teams covet. Uh, shooting gravity and size is, is important. And Nathanus is probably going to be drafted pretty highly because of it. But I have a lot of concerns about how much positive value he can really add. I mean, and then that really depends on how elite the shooting ends up being. Yeah, the shooting definitely is an intriguing aspect with him. Three-point attempt right there his career, 58.5%. True shooting percentage this past year in 14 games, 68.5%. That will make your eyes got, eyes really pop out a little bit because that's a huge true shooting, true, true shooting percentage number going from 53.6% last year to 68.5. His offensive box plus minus was also 9.3. So he definitely took a huge leap under Jerry Stackhouse this past year at Vanderbilt. His, his season ended, ended early due to his injury, of course, but – what do you think from a Phoenix standpoint, Ben? Because I think if you just want to double down and go all in on gravity and, and sharpshooting around side, alongside DeAndre and Dan Booker and just provide those guys ample spacing, maybe Neesmith could be a fit in that aspect. Yeah, I think, I mean, at least given their current draft position, that, that would be a, a mistake. Um, I, I mean, if they're going to like go all in and take a shooter that's, that's probably a reach that point, I mean, I would take Desmond Bain. Because um, I mean, as we both expressed our, our our love for Bain, and I think Bain's just a flat out better prospect and a better shooter overall. And I, I like I said, I, I have a lot of concerns about Neesmith, um, you know, as a passer, a dribbler, a defender uh, in Phoenix. So I think he could kind of get missold as like a this like wing defender type, which he really isn't. And then I mean, teams are going to understand what he is as as just a really uh, really elite shooter, but. I mean, you can get guys like him much later in the class, or uh, m- much later in the draft, excuse me. So I would much rather go with uh, one of the other guys that's going to be on the board. And just given the way that, you know, mock drafts uh, are, are rolling out and the Intel seems to be, I mean, at least per my board, there's, there, there projects to be quite a bit, quite a bit of value uh, around the 10th pick-ish range, which is where Phoenix is slated to pick. So I'd say no to Neesmith at 10. Um, or really at all. I mean, until like the late first is where I'm at with Neesmith. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be a fan of that. Yeah, he's someone as well who's going to generate buzz because like we mentioned, Sharpshooter has elite advanced metrics and shooting percentages. So I think he's going to be maybe overdrafted this year, but he's one of those players who it seems like he's going to go in that lottery range, maybe even earlier than we expect just because the shooting numbers and what he showed this year at Vanderbilt. It could be a player really rises throughout this process. But we're going to take another quick break here before we dive into Obi Toppin and LaMelo Ball, two players I'm looking forward to talk to with Ben. We're going to head on our sponsor today's show as well, though, which is Bilt Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. They taste just like a candy bar. Built Bars do. They have 16 amazing flavors, 8 chocolate nut flavors, and 8 chocolate nut free flavors. The bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. The Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy as well out there. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging a delicious treat. For example, the peanut butter brownie has 20 grams of protein, only 3 grams of sugar, all within 170 calories. So it helps tide you over for a great snack throughout the day. Suns fans, if you haven't already, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, and get $10 of your first order of Built Bars. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. That is B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R.com. We'll be back in just a second to talk Lamelo Ball and Obi Toppin here with Ben. All right, Ben, we're back for the final segment of our show, and we're to the heavy hitters of the show now. Obi Toppin, I know a lot of Suns fans are intrigued by Let's hit on for a second his negatives here because I know we've hit on in the past on the show about his positives, but 
how worried are you about his defense and it stood with Aiden? Um, incredibly, I'd say. Uh, very, very worried. I mean, like, first of all, I mean, thankfully, um, with Phoenix, he wouldn't have to play the five because that would just be totally disastrous with, I mean, he has a high center of gravity, meaning he struggles to defend the post. He is just an all-time bad mover, you know, in, in every which way, laterally, you know, moving north-south in drop coverage. He really just can't play drop coverage because of how, because of how feeble he is as a mover and how he just really struggles to backpedal quickly. Um, I mean, at, at the four, I don't have much optimism either um, just because – um, he is, you know, super immobile on the perimeter. I mean, like I said, he can't really drop. He also can't really hedge because he struggles to get out and contain guards laterally, laterally, excuse me. And on switches, I mean, it's, it's kind of over for, for your defense because he really just cannot do that at all. I mean, he has some secondary rim protection instinct. Um, he's not like horrible and he's pretty strong and he's long, but again, he, 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 I mean, when he doesn't have a runway, his, his load time is, is pretty significant as, as a leaper for, for blocks. And he's just, just that inability to move is, is so incredibly crippling, um, in any defensive scheme. And I have like a difficult time seeing Obi not being totally disastrous as a defender. And that's like the main reason why I'm a lot lower on Obi. I mean, I have him like, uh, like the, I have him like low teens at this point, which is lower than I, almost everyone I, I would assume. Um, but yeah, I just really have a difficult time buying that he's not like a total nightmare on defense. You know, you know, you know, especially considering that big defense is you know the most important kind of defense, um, and and those are the anchors of your defense. And you know, especially in like this, I'm not even talking about the playoffs where where teams are going to ruthlessly hunt Obi because he just cannot hang on on that end so yeah I you know that de- that defense is really really worrisome and is like the reason I'm pretty out on on Obi as a prospect let me ask uh, you. Uh, at least highly yeah yeah I think with Obi it's definitely a two-headed sword two-edged sword so to say because you have his elite offensive traits but his defensive traits are super worrisome but let me ask you this Ben if, if Obi Toppin let's say is Tobias Harris maxed out on athleticism he's 100% maxed out he, his three-point shooting like we've seen in Dayton, his first two years there, they played 41.7%, only 103 three-point attempts, so super small sample size. But I saw some encouraging signs this past year with his jumper a little bit from the outside extending his range. Do you think it's possible, Ben, that his elite offense traits could help override his defense, almost like DeAndre and the concerns we have with him in 2018? Um, again, I'd be skeptical of that. I think the biggest reason for that, I mean, first of all, I don't think he's nearly as – you know, I think he's a much worse defender than Aiden was and, and will ever be. So I, I think that's an issue there. And I think his offense is is often a little bit oversold for my taste. I mean, and, and the issue with that being, I really just don't trust the self creation is which is what which is what you kind of need to hit that high level offensive ceiling. I mean, I don't think Obi is someone who's going to be really creating off the dribble in any sort of capacity. Um, and I think he fits best in a complementary role, which I actually don't hate. I think Phoenix is a pretty solid fit uh, for OB offensively because, I mean, their offense has, you know, a lot of motion. And, you know, with in, in pick and rolls with Booker, he'll have a chance to make decisions off of the short roll, which he does really well. He's going to be a really awesome role man with just his vertical explosion there and his ability to finish, to, to contort his body, to finish on the move with, with both hands. Just this awesome touch there. So, I mean, Obi is a really good offensive player. I think he's likely like go. I mean, he's almost assuredly going to be a positive offensive player um, in the NBA. 
But I mean, I'm just skeptical of, of, of the offense really outweighing that kind of awful defense. And I, she's just like not someone I really have like want to focus on like building around because of the the team those concerns that you know the, the offense is is good but not great and and the defense is totally disastrous. So, I mean the like, like the offense is going to be good because of all of the great things he brings. But I mean unless he turns up ends up being like a really elite shooter, um, which I'm skeptical of, then I yeah I'm pretty negative overall on his overall fit. Though like I think the offense is going to be quite good. And I mean, I, I, would, I would be surprised if he was like a bad off, like, like a totally uh, useless NBA player. I think he's going to be an NBA player and I think he's going to have some value. But I think like, again, like a lot of his best value is going to come to me as like a bench microwave score, score kind of type where he could definitely take, take serious advantages of, you know, bench defenses and bench bigs in the post. But again, I mean, are you really excited about drafting like a bench score type in, you know, in the top five or the top 10? I, I personally am, am not. So, I mean, th- that outlines like a lot of issues uh, I have with Obi. I'm glad you brought that up just about a building block standpoint with Obi for a second. Then it's the last one I had him go up before we go on the Lamelo ball, because I feel like he'd have to land in a spot like a Golden State or even like a Phoenix, for example, with a Booker and Aiden or an Atlanta with Trey Young. He has to, I think, have a really good environment in place. If you're like sending him to Cleveland, for example, and have him be the, the savior of the franchise, and you kind of put all your chips in the wrong basket, so to say, they're done. Yeah, I mean, I think the most important, um, the most important piece to have with Obi Toppin is an elite pull-up shooting guard with, with serious range. And like the, the three main guys in the NBA, uh, I mean, you have Steph, I mean, barring health, of course, Trey and Damian Lillard. And I mean, Portland, I think is my favorite fit with um, offensively for Obi with two elite pull-up shooting guards um, commanding gravity and allowing Obi to play on four on threes. I mean, Atlanta ha- has that same thing with Trey, but you know, I worry a lot. I worry more about the defense there, you know, Trey being like the, one of the worst defenders in the league and John Collins having his issues. And then like the Warriors, you know, I think OB just going that high would, 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 be, would be a mistake. But yeah, I mean, he, he's a guy who needs like, an, like a strong offensive infrastructure to succeed. I mean, like he's not as plug and play as he's billed to as some. And, you know, it's important to remember that, you know, Dayton's coach, Anthony Grant, is one of the best coaches, if not like the best offensive coach in, in all of college basketball. And he routinely put Obi Toppin in prime positions to succeed offensively. So, I mean, Mon- I mean, the Suns have a pretty strong offensive system. And I think there's a good chance he could succeed there. So, I mean, he needs a good infrastructure. And, I mean, like, if the Suns, like, ended up with, with Obi at 10, it's not the worst thing in the world. Like, that's not terrible value. I think that's generally fine. I, I, I would go a different direction. Um, but it's not – but it wouldn't be, like, a team taking him in, like, the top five or the top three. So, Let's move on now, Ben, to LaMelo Ball because he's definitely the most polarizing prospect of this 2020 draft class. Just you personally, Ben, how do you view LaMelo Ball compared to the rest of these top prospects? Yeah, so LaMelo Ball is my top prospect pretty clearly. Uh, I mean, right now he's in a a tier of four different prospects. I've considered moving him to his own tier. Not sure I'm there yet, but I mean, I've, I've definitely strongly considered that that decision as I mean LaMelo is just so incredibly special I mean at six foot seven a transcendent passer who does passing things that few other guys on the planet at his size can do I mean with his live dribble passing and some of the manipulation with his body and his eyes and just the creativity and the quick trigger I mean, he has all of the passing tools 
you could ask for um, plus that size. And then you can combine that with his elite ball handling, you know, again, probably one of the best handlers in the class, uh, if not the best handler with incredible shift, such a tight handle, really maneuvers through traffic um, pretty well. And is able to get the spots despite, I mean, in my opinion, like the, the main concern with Melo is just his, his frame and his physicality as he's just really, really weak. And I think like that hinders his burst. He struggles to blow by guys in one-on-one. He gets pushed off the spot. He pushed off of his spots pretty easily as a driver. And then he struggles as a finisher because of it, not just offensively, but I mean, Lamelo. Um, I think if he can improve that physicality, he can really be better as a driver because of the handle. He has awesome touch around the rim. And then, I mean, some people have worries as like a shooter. They see, oh, he, he shot 20, 28% from three in the NBA. I, I think that's a really reductive and, and just false concern as, I mean, that, I mean, the important things to note with Lamelo are not only his touch, but the volume with which he shot threes. I mean, he shot 83s this 86 threes this year in the NBL. Um, high degree of difficulty, lots of difficult pull-ups. And the mechanics have improved considerably. I mean, since obviously since he was, you know, shooting like over the head double elbow flare threes at Chino Hills to even at Spire, you know, his his lower body mechanics have, have cleaned up a lot and his upper body is is better than it has been, though the mechanics still need improvement. I mean, just given the pull-up volume he has and his touch, I'm pretty confident that he's going to be, like, a good enough shooter. And, like, it's not like he needs to be a super, super elite, like, 38% shooter on high volume to really alter and bend defenses. I mean, Luka Doncic shot 32% from three on nine threes a game and was still able to command a lot of gravity because of that volume. Obviously, not comparing Lamelo to, to, to Luka in any ways. I, I don't want to to come across that way but just just making the point that that shooting gravity is really important and it's a point made by you know i'll shout out my friend jake rosen released a big piece on lamella today you should go read that for some more details and more depth into what i'm speaking on now um and, and then the de- i mean obviously the defense is a huge issue as super frail like i said um just i mean before before the nbl he has never played defense and like i don't mean that in like a sarcastic like oh he's always been a crappy defender kind of way i mean he's literally never been asked to play defense i mean because like chino hills ran you know like the the full court press defense and then at spire he stood on like the block and just swiped uh, when the ball came at him but then he's like being thrust into a professional defensive scheme and i think like there were instances where you can see his high-level instincts flash through because he really does have good team defense instincts, but he's just so raw technically and, you know, unable to move um, in, in the right spots, terrible at, like, defending the ball on pick and roll because besides the fragility of his frame, just not knowing how to get through screens and, you know, understanding uh, different pick and rolls and different offensive concepts at the highest level. But, I mean, there's so much to like with Lamelo you know, his size and, and his skill. And it's not to mention that he's one of the younger players in this class. I mean, he doesn't turn 18 until late August, I believe. And sorry, doesn't turn 19 until late August. And he would be the youngest American player in the draft if if you counted him. I mean, he's not the youngest international guy because of uh, Alex Pokusevsky, but he's super, super young. And I mean, that's another like positive and important to consider indicator of upside. See, so, yeah, I mean, I think Lamelo's the best proximate in this class. Um, yeah, I mean, big fan of Lamelo. Looking at his ceiling, Ben, what do you think the ceiling is for Lamelo Ball? Because, like you mentioned, he's number one on your board. He's number one on mine as well. I think he has the elite talent. He, like you said, it flashes pretty often when you put him in the right environment. Do you think there's a capability of him being a top five point guard in the NBA eventually? Hmm. Probably. I mean, 
I would hedge no just because that's a very high bar. Um, I mean, I, I guess it's in the range of possibilities if it becomes a really high-level shooter. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I, you know, I think Lamelo has probably the only meaningful primary creator ceiling in this class. I mean, that's why I have number one. Uh, that's why you have number one. That's why so many people have number one because he has that actual meaningful outcome as a primary engine, which is just so important and difficult to find. Um, and even though Lamelo, I mean, he's got a, like quite a bit of downside as well. I mean, like I said, I. I'm a big advocate that his floor, I think, is higher than he gets credit for because he's going to step into the league and be an incredible passer, you know, at his size. And that, that, that adds value on its own. Um, yeah, I mean, the ceiling is really high for LaMelo. I mean, probably not like top five, top ten player kind of ceiling. I don't think he's that level. Um, but again, just like a six foot seven guard um, who is like, hopefully, in that ceiling, he's likely like an impactful uh, pull up shooter with incredibly high volume and, and pretty good efficiency. And then the elite pass, passing and dribbling to just create an all around offensive engine that really succeeds in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I mean, I think, um, and then hopefully the defense gets to a point where, you know, we can add strength. And, you know, I'm skeptical of him being like ever make a positive. Uh, hopefully he can get to close to neutral. Um, I, I, yeah, like I said, I don't think he's ever going to be a positive there. I mean, even if he gets to neutral, you know, given the offensive value he'd add, that, that would be a huge win for LaMelo. So, yeah, I, I think the ceiling is, is pretty strong for him. Looking at his fit with Phoenix, Ben, if the Suns got lottery luck again and they leapfrog from the 10 range all the way to number one, I imagine LaMelo Ball will be the easy choice there, at least from everyone out in draft Twitter. And like I mentioned, I'd be pounding the table for LaMelo in that situation because – I think he could be that missing piece, so to say. And he also has the opportunity to learn from Ricky Rubio for a year or two as well as a mentor on, on the Suns roster. But you have Booker and Aiton with Mikhail Bridges, Kelly Ubre, who stays around long-term. With LaMelo Ball, I like the sound of that, Ben. Yeah, that's probably what I would do if I had the number one pick for Phoenix. I can see a case for Anthony Edwards um, as he kind of as, – as he probably is more seamless, you know, off-ball fit in terms of long-term projection next to Booker. But I think, you know – there's a like Booker is, is very good and he's made strides and I think like it's it's, it's clear that Booker is a, a good player and a, a very high level creator but is he the number one guy on a championship team good I I'm I, I don't think so um is Lamelo that guy um I would also be skeptical he's ever that guy but Lamelo is your best chance to get that and when you have a chance to get that kind of player who's you know the guy on a championship winning team uh, you take that chance. And LaMelo's probably, I mean, if some miracle they land the number one pick, um, that's that's their best chance because, I mean, I doubt they're going to get a, a number one, a, t- a top pick next year in next year's loaded class. But you never know. But, I mean, but yeah, I think LaMelo is is the pick I'd make for the Suns is, you know, the best value and um, long-term fit as a really positive, you know, potential, like, actual primary engine. Um, I, I mean, if I could, I'd try to trade trade back. Um, but, I mean, we're not talking really about that in this scenario. So, yeah, I mean, LaMelo is the guy i go with for Phoenix, number one. I like the fit with LaMelo for Booker, especially just because you have the option to alternate possessions as the lead ball handler, as Booker has shown each of the past few years. You can take on more and more of the playmaking role. But I like the fit even more for DeAndre Ayton, Ben, because I feel like LaMelo would set him up constantly on pick and rolls and transition. I love the fit even more for DeAndre Ayton, honestly, than I do Dan Booker for the Suns. Yeah, agreed. I mean – I mean, LaMelo kind of, I mean, at his ceiling, I mean, you hope gives you like somewhat of the best, best of both worlds of, you know, Ricky Rubio and, 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 and Booker, excuse me for Aiden, as you know, Rubio is a brilliant passer, uh, one of the best in the world, but he doesn't have that scoring gravity to really, you know, bend defenses 
by his own threat. And then Devin Booker, you know, he's improved a ton as a playmaker, um, like can make simple reads off of, off of his scoring gravity, which he has, but he's not incredibly complex and probably never going to be at the level LaMelo will be. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, assuming LaMelo is a guy who has some of his own scoring threat um, and is that elite passer, like I said, I mean, that's, that would be devastating for, for opposing defenses in a pick and roll with DeAndre Ayton, who's already shown good things as a role man early in his career. And like that, it, it would just open up so many avenues for him. Um, and especially like playing next to Booker, Booker pulls defenses. Um, you know, McHale's shooting is on an upward track. And assuming it continues to trend that way, McHale will pull shooters as well. And yeah, I mean, yeah, like, like a LaMelo-centric offense with, with DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker is, is a really exciting proposition to think about. Ben, this is a lot of fun talking to you, man. You can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. He has a lot of place he writes at as well. The bird writes at SB Nation, the step back. He also runs the Rookie Wire as well. And also he runs his own podcast too. I suppose you guys check it out as well. The Prep to Pro Pod. You can follow it on Twitter at Prep to Pro Pod. Ben, appreciate the time going through his prospects. More. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, it was a good time. Love talking basketball. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. We'll be back with you guys on Wednesday as we record with CJ Holmes, the athletic, to talk DeAndre and plus some other Arizona prospects.